0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Fitz on Fantasy. I'm Pat Fitzmorris. Find me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. And here with me this week is Joey Wright. He is a member of the team at Front Yard Fantasy. And what a great team it is, by the way. If you haven't ever watched their front fantasy football game show, I would urge you to do so. Uh, Joey is also part of the terrific staff at FootballGuys.com and now appears regularly on the Pretend GM show. Along with my guy Alfredo Brown and others. And Joey is also a featured content provider for the Better Sports Network and FanDuel. Find him on Twitter at TheJoeyWright. Welcome, Joey. Great to talk to you again.
1: Man, do you hear me read my C, what is it, CSV or whatever it is like that? It's a little <laughs> well, humbling. It's a, it sounds great. Thank you so much day. for having, having me on, Pat. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I I my you, pleasure, man. Yeah. At Expo last year, my my best friend Siobhan Basteo, uh, he uh, you are his favorite fantasy analyst, not me. You and uh, I told him I was doing this today, and he was over the moon. He said, "I'm so excited for you, buddy."
0: Oh, so flattering. And uh, yeah. you know, one of the highlights of the Expo last year was definitely our our dinner out. You, yes. me, Matthew <laughs> Friedman. That was a good time. Going to uh, you know an interesting restaurant in downtown Canton, Ohio. Uh, great time. You know, mediocre food, great conversation. Um. All right, Joey, it's early April and the situation with Lamar Jackson and the Ravens is still at an impasse. Let's say you were doing a best ball draft today and uh, that's probably not too far fetched since no. this is the time of year when a lot of the people who do fantasy football stuff for a living are juggling at least one best ball draft at all times. So in a best ball draft right now, would you be willing to take Lamar Jackson anywhere close to what his ADP generally would be, maybe the fifth or sixth round, or would you need to get a much bigger discount than that in order to consider taking him?
1: So I'm someone who notoriously waits on quarterback in drafts until I feel I'm getting good value, meaning I rarely if ever reach for a quarterback. Um, I've got Lamar as my QB eight. So for me, it would need to be closer to like his sixth round value. And it doesn't have really much to do with his on the field talent. Uh, You know, wherever Lamar Jackson plays, he'll be an elite quarterback. My concern. If he plays this season, I mean, the last I heard Jackson and the team are far apart. And while it would go against his character of what from I've seen from him, um, it still feels like it's a possibility. He might sit.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it could be a potential Le'Veon Bell type of situation. It, it seems like the two sides uh, are just nowhere near reaching an agreement right now. And it doesn't seem like any other team is going to step up and, um, you know, kind of set the bar for the Ravens to clear with a contract. I, I don't think anyone's going to give him an offer sheet. So, um, yeah, is the, is the ranking of QE, QB8 entirely related to the contract situation like does how, how far would he let's say they got it worked out this week where would he be in your rankings
1: qb8 i'm ranking him as if he's gonna play until i hear else elsewhere you know because right now it's mainly dynasty rankings that i'm doing uh but in redraft like the closer we get you know and this sit out that could possibly happen it's he could fall but where i have him now like i would rather have burrow and uh, justin fields those are the two guys i have ahead of him, but
0: Sure. What um, are you concerned that he has missed 10 games over the last two years or that maybe he's never going to be able to get back to the level he was at in 2019 when he averaged about 28 fantasy points a game and was arguably the best football player on the planet? Uh, like which of those two things or both are kind of weighing on you when you
1: rank Lamar QBA? I mean, if Jackson plays, I have zero reason to fade him especially in basketball. I mean, truly one of the best in the game when he's on the field. Um, I think, to be honest, my biggest issue with Lamar, outside of if he sits, is he lacks that true wide receiver one. I mean, he's got Mark Andrews, which he kind of uses for that. But Rashad Bateman, he just lacks what I would like to see in a wide receiver one. Um, so for that, I mean, that's why I have him down to QB8. I know a lot of people have him a little bit higher. Um, so I think he'd be a little bit lower, of course, than those 28 fantasy points per game.
0: Yeah, Oh, definitely. And he hasn't gotten really that close to, to reattaining that level. He's been like, you know, 20, 21, 22 fantasy points a game in the last few years. And that's probably his true level. I mean, 28 is just ridiculous and probably unsustainable. But um, I do understand the, the trepidation with the, the wide receivers. I mean, it seems like it's been forever since Baltimore. Had a decent group of wide receivers, and it seemed like they had one last year going in with Marquise Brown and Rashad Bateman. And then they trade Marquise Brown at the draft and Bateman gets hurt early on and things just don't pan out. So, um, yeah, let's let's change the subject from a quarterback to a tight end. Joey, tell me why you think TJ Hawkinson should be the tight end two this year. He's one of your guys, isn't he?
1: Uh, Yeah, I'm planting my flag on TJ Hawkinson. Uh, he was already a tight end, two in PPR from weeks 9 to 17 after his arrival in Minnesota. Uh, He, he averaged 14.1 PPR fantasy points a game during that span. And, you know, three Minnesota wide res, uh, Vikings wide receivers finished in the top 15 in red zone targets in 2022. And one of those guys, Adam Thielen, is now gone. So it's easy for me to see Hawkinson repeat that success from last season if not build upon it. Uh, you know, the current tight end, too, we just talked about Lamar Jackson. You know, with Mark Andrews, it feels a little bit more risky for me. And I just truly love everything I saw from TJ Hawkinson in this offense. Now, if a big-bodied wide receiver like Quentin Johnston was drafted by the Vikings day one, I would be a little concerned for Hawkinson. But outside of that, I'm, I'm ready to roll Hawkinson as my tight end, too.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's possible they do add someone. And, uh, you know, they've got they're, they're kind of at that spot in the first round where it seems like we're going to see Jackson Smith and Jigba and Quentin Johnston and maybe others peel off the boards. But, um, yeah, I, I understand the enthusiasm for Hawkinson, though, especially like uh, the target situation with him in Detroit was just like not ideal, probably not getting used as much as he could have been used. And then he comes in and instantly like first game, nine targets, second game, 10 targets, third game, nine targets, like Minnesota used him. Um, they certainly gave him the sort of usage that we were hoping to see from TJ Hawkins. And so I get it. I, I can understand why you would have him ahead of Mark Andrews. Um, it makes sense to me. Now, Joey, I know you're a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. And I have to ask, (laughs) what do you think the Buccaneers passing game is going to look like this year with Baker Mayfield, uh, assuming he does beat out Kyle Trask for the starting quarterback job, trying to feed Mike Evans and Chris Godwin? Like, are you avoiding Evans and Godwin in redraft this year?
1: So I have jokingly been saying that when Baker signed with the Bucks, I went out and bought a jersey immediately. Number thirteen, Kalen Williams jersey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I'm worried about the Bucks passing game. Uh, more for Mike Evans, and I am Chris Godwin. To be honest, though, um, we've seen Baker get good production from his slot receiver with Jarvis Landry in the past. Uh, so while Godwin's upside may be limited, uh, I think volume has him as a mid tier uh, wide receiver too. Around like where you would draft Debo Samuel, Michael Pittman, around that area. But Mike Evans, who's probably one of my favorite Buccaneers of all time. Uh, I am truly worried about him for the first time in his career. And I've seen, you know, there was a rotating door of quarterbacks with Jameis and Ryan Fitzpatrick before Brady came in. And every season, Mike Evans found a way to put up 100 plus yard, uh, a thousand plus yards receiving every single year, nine years in a row. Um, And we've only seen Baker find success with a receiver of Evans type once in his career. And that was back in 2019 with Odell Beckham. You know it sound this that season Beckham did have over a thousand yards receiving and four touchdowns, but since then Baker hasn't supported a wide receiver with over nine hundred nine hundred yards receiving even approached nine hundred yards to be honest
0: yeah, and Beckham, I mean if anything like Beckham might maybe stylistically is uh mirrors Godwin a little bit more closely than he would Evans so yeah i'm I'm concerned I mean we saw Baker struggle to support. D.J. Moore, who was basically a a wide receiver one or very close to it with Sam Darnold at quarterback. And Baker was not able to get D.J. Moore untracked. So um, yeah, I would say that was a concern. What about dynasty? Like if you have Evans or Godwin on a dynasty roster, I mean, are you I suppose based on your answer you're probably not automatically looking to sell Godwin and certainly like the window on his career is wide enough that there's hope that the Tampa Bay QB situation in time will get better or maybe Godwin goes elsewhere. But what about Evans? Is he like just a sell for you now? Like would you take a second rounder for him?
1: I pr- I probably would at this point. Like if you can sell him on namesake, I I would be looking to sell him. Um, I feel though that I'm probably going to hold him because I don't want to give away Evans for too little, uh, Godwin though is interesting. I, I mean, I do believe people are in a little bit of panic with them and, you know, I've seen trades out there first round rookie pick a late first round or early second. I would give that up to get Godwin in heartbeat. Um, cause I still think he does have the talent. He does have the career longevity that Evans doesn't have at this point.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I think I'd do that too. Just for me, I think the confidence in rookie, Draft picks really drops after about, oh, 108 or so, 109. So um, I would certainly be willing to trade 111, 112 for Godwin. And um, yeah, I don't know about you, but maybe I just, I'd rather just eat Evans, I think, than go for a second round pick in a draft where I don't really like a lot of the rookies who are going to be going in that second round range. Or at least I'm just not any real confidence in
1: the hit rates of this year's second round rookies. No, I get it. And listen, Evans has proved us strong in the past when they're you know with backup quarterbacks, and he still finds that way to put up a thousand yards receiving, and he's always going to be a red zone threat. So like, I'm ready to eat some pie, or what is it the what is the e crow for what I've said about Evans today? Yeah, <laughs> I'm ready I'd rather to eat, eat pie, Joey. I would too. I, I like pie. <laughs> Good apple crumble. So-
0: <laughs> yeah i mean do you, do you think there was any sort of performance drop off with evans last year by the way when he had that uh what was it a, a 10 game touchdown drought you know which he finally ended in a big way with i think that three touchdown uh
1: deluge that yeah was the... he had that big game at the end i mean it did start to look like he was tailing off a little bit so that plays into my concerns a little bit as well but then it's just like right when you give up on him just like just when i thought i was out you pull me back in so.
0: right and it's, it's hard to tell what was, uh, you know, what was Evans, what was Brady, what was just the general decline in the offense last year. Um, all right, Joey, let's veer off topic for a few minutes. Until that aforementioned dinner with you and Matthew Friedman, uh, I had no idea what a huge movie aficionado you were. I mean, would you say it is fair to categorize you as a film buff? Because I... you know a lot about movies, including old movies.
1: I I do think that's fair. I I have quite a collection, over 1,500, um, that my wife doesn't complain about. But she's like, really, more? Those are going to the bedroom? But I told her the other day, it's like, honey, I finally reached a point where I have everything that hasn't come out yet. Like, new stuff, no. But the stuff that's been out, I I have everything I need.
0: Now... Before the Oscars last month, you tweeted out a photo of an Academy Awards ballot with your predictions marked in one color and your own preferences marked in a different color. I believe you went 16 of 23 on the predictions, which is a pretty good hit rate. And um, you were very spot on in predicting the dominance of everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, But if I recall correctly, Joey, everything, everywhere, all at once was not your personal preference in a lot of the categories in which it won. So how did you feel about that film? And did it deserve to pretty much sweep
1: Oscar night the way it did? I think it absolutely deserved every award it received. This was one of those weird years for me, usually like an Oscar year. I'll tweet out that ballot and my picks that I pick. I'm like, this is what should win. And nothing else should win. You know, maybe not that harsh, but uh, everything that the, it did this year, it deserved to win. Like, that was great. It was just preferences, really. Um, if you looked at something like the Best Actress Race, uh, Michelle Yeoh was fantastic in everything at all ones. I just preferred Cate Blanchett and Tar. I'm a big Cate Blanchett fan. I think it was the best performance for a career. I wanted to see the film Tar rewarded in some way, and I thought Cate Blanchett's performance is the best way. But in no way did you know, I think Michelle Yo was bad and all. She was fantastic.
0: Now you mentioned something on Twitter not long ago about your mom's movie
1: reviews. Was she a, <laughs> f- a film critic? No, no, no. She wasn't a film critic. Um, I was for a while. I had my own site and everything. Um, but as far as my mom goes, cause she'll listen to this and thanks mom. I will say I had a really cool mom when it came to watching movies growing up. If I made a really good case for seeing a movie, She would usually let me watch it within reason, as long as like heads weren't exploding and everything. Although there was one movie um, I made a really strong case for when I was about nine years old to watch Silence of the Lambs. And she went to the video store and rented it and sat there and watched it with me. Um, The Buffalo Bill scene was a little uncomfortable to watch with your mother. But other than that, um, you know, I believe the tweet you're referring to is the one I said where this is the most F words I've ever heard in a movie. Um, That was a review she gave of a movie. (laughs)
0: that was just a a person-to-person review i get it yes i I might have uh misinterpreted that uh it works though (laughs) all right so mrs Wright, if you are listening to this very cool uh to allow joey to watch silence of the lambs at such a tender age uh you know i'm sure other people would have been prepared to uh ask for custody but um (laughs) no that's that's Very cool. And, uh, you know, I had a mom who would occasionally bring me into our movies, which, uh, you know, I have forever appreciated. So tell me about the first movie you actually snuck into.
1: What were you supposed to see that day? And what did you actually see? So the movie that my mom said had the most F words, like, don't tell a 12 year old kid that like, just don't say that because they're going to want to see that movie. Uh, so the late fall of '94. Um, I bought a ticket to see little giants, but actually snuck in to see, um, Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction. And, uh, I mean, I, I don't think that day at 12 years old, I fully grasped what I had seen. I thought a lot of it was cool. Um, but you know, I look. there's a few movie screenings. I look back in my life that I would say like changed my film going perspective. You know, when I saw Jurassic Park at 10 years old with my grandfather, like that made me love movies. And seeing Pulp Fiction, even though I hadn't seen a whole lot of movies at that time, like I knew this is something very different. Why is it all out of order? Like, what is going on? And like now I watch it and it's just like a masterpiece for me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, there's certainly enough going on to hold the attention <laughs> of a 12 year old in that movie. But um, yeah, I'm sure some of the nuance and the yeah, the the non parallel framing of the the time like some of the stuff was so cool and and maybe you didn't appreciate that right away but uh over time looking back on it so what would you
1: consider to be the most overrated
0: movie of all time
1: i I don't like to speak ill of movies that's kind of why i'm not a film critic anymore because i just didn't like to speak bad um because i i do think there's value in really any movie that gets put on the big screen even like the really bad ones but i will say i've got a really sore spot for forrest gump um, <laughs> but it, it might not have a whole lot to do with the film It one best picture of a Shawshank and Pulp Fiction, which really, for me, that's not aged well. Um, but the, even at like, I think it was around the same time Pulp Fiction came out. No, I remember Forrest Gump came out during the summer. Um, the treatment of Jenny, like even at 12 years old, like really rubbed me the wrong way. Um, I mean, she chooses to explore life rather than just walk straight and narrow like Forrest, and she's punished around every corner. It just seemed extremely cruel even at that age. Um, so for me, force gum doesn't hold up. Well, I, I think it's, it's fun and it's got a great soundtrack, but just, I, I don't think it's that great. Yeah. I mean,
0: to (laughs) just an egregious, um, mistake, I think by the Academy to have that beat out Pulp Fiction and Shawshank, which, you know, just two instant classics. Um, yeah, it did. It really did feel like it was the, um, I don't know, maybe it was just a pro Tom Hanks thing. Maybe people thought that was uh I don't know, more of a feel good story. Hell, I think you could have made a case for either four weddings and a funeral or quiz show. Or quiz show, yeah. Which Ooh, were the nice other two. <laughs> yeah. I mean that was a great year for movies, Joe. It was, Ninety yeah. four was. I mean, just looking at the ninety-five Oscar ballot, that was a stacked year. Do you have a movie that you consider to be your favorite of all time? Um, and would you say whatever would be your favorite? Would that also be the best movie of all time or are those two separate categories? No,
1: I, I've i always felt that like someone's favorite movie, there's really an emotional connection. And so the movie I connect with most um, throughout my life has been almost famous. Um, I've always been enamored with being a fan of things, whether it's sports or movies or music and Almost Famous romanticizes it in the greatest possible way. Um, however, I will say in the show notes, you gave me an option to do a Mount Rushmore. So I'm going yes. to exercise that option. Um, so here is my Mount Rushmore. This is a personal Mount Rushmore. Not the greatest films ever made. Although two of them, I think, could be, there be an argument that they are. Um, first movie on my Mount Rushmore would be Casablanca. It's the best love story that's really, truly about friendship and has the all-time best finale focusing on both. Um, second movie would, uh, Hitchcock's my favorite director of all time. Um, and his psycho, it just does everything that I look for in a movie going experience. If you ever want a fun deep dive, go into some, they have some little mini documentaries of what Hitchcock did with psycho, where he wouldn't allow people to come in after the credits had started. Um, a lot of really cool, um, world building stuff that he did there. Uh, And it also has his finger on almost every single thriller, horror, and slasher that I've come to love after it. Almost Famous would be on there as well because it's my favorite movie. But an obscure one that you know some people have seen, um, it's a movie called Old Boy. It's a South Korean film. It's a vengeance movie. Um, but it was my gateway into foreign cinema, especially Asian cinema, which led me to filmmakers like Wang Kar Wai and Bong Joon-ho, who people know through directed Parasite which um, that was my greatest Oscar night ever. I was getting phone calls when Parasite won best picture. Like I had directed the movie because for years I told my friends, Hey, have you seen this movie from South Korea? Have you seen this French film? And so all my friends were like, Oh, foreign movie, Joey, he'd probably love that.
0: (laughs) And I mean, all right. So Casablanca, which uh, believe it or not, I had not seen in its entirety until last year. I finally addressed that righted that wrong. And uh, yeah, true truly amazing story and just um kind of underrated as a comedy in some ways like there are a lot of funny parts to that movie and like the the interplay between the characters is so fantastic throughout um parasite was an amazing movie and um you know our teenagers who were not really in the sit still for movie phase at the time when we uh had them watch that like they loved it too i mean they that was a truly deserving Oscar winner. And, um, you know, I'm so glad I watched it and so glad that, uh, people didn't seem to be overly challenged by the, um, foreign language component of it and were willing to give it a shot. So, um, that's a great list, man. Um, so you're, you're pretty much open to all genres, comedies, slashers.
1: Yeah. Like I, yeah, you know, I think there's a time and a, and a mood for every type of movie. I really do. And, you know, Jay Felicia with FYI, he likes giving me a hard time because I'm not super into the you know, MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But, you know, there's definitely a time for those movies too where I just want to go to the movie theater, grab a bucket of popcorn, and have a
0: blast. Yeah. You know? How many movies would you say approximately you try to watch a year?
1: Oh, gosh. My letterboxed, um, it. It's usually between three and 500. Now, once I joined the fantasy football um, industry, I guess you could say that that number has gone down a little bit. I've had to pick and choose a little bit. Um, but I log everything, um, that I watch. I, I think it's important just for memory sake. Um, just to remember what you've seen, how many times you've seen it. And so, yeah. Yeah. Your wife's into movies too. Is that, uh, uh she doesn't have a choice, but she is, <laughs> 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 no, she is. She, um, she doesn't put up with some of my foreign stuff. Usually I'll get like two four movies out of a year out of her. We're all like, honey, you have to watch this one. And actually last weekend we had a little weekend away and um, she wanted to catch up on some Oscar movies. And she's like, what should we watch? And I'm like, okay, we're going to watch tar because you love Kate Blanchett. And then we watched everything over all once. And I liked it a lot more. I think it was the third time I'd seen it. And, you know, the first time I saw it, I was really, I just kind of laughed a lot, but there truly is a beautiful family story at the heart of that movie.
0: Does she have a wheelhouse like artistic, rom coms, thrillers?
1: Um, she, I'm not gonna say that my wife's one of those people that likes the murder podcasts, but um, it's growing increasingly to seem like that. That a lot of people die in the movies that she watches, yeah, the hand of a a jealous lover, maybe. Um, but no, she'll watch anything and she really is. uh, She doesn't like horror movies to be honest with you a lot, but um,
0: but she does like crime, she's got good taste, that's good. That's good. All right, Joey, turning back to football. uh, I'm not sure how I missed this earlier, but it recently came to my attention that you are a fellow (laughs) Damian Pierce enthusiast. Oh, Um, I can't believe we haven't talked about this already. So you're not worried about Devin Singletary posing some sort of existential
1: threat to Pierce's workload. I mean, I think Singletary is going to be a veteran presence. I, I really do. But, you know, I really just believe that Pierce did everything he needed to do last year to win this job. Um, you know, he was fourth in the league in broken tackles in 2022 as a rookie, um, over 75 scrimmage yards in nine of 13 games played. And he finished among the rookies in 2022, uh, finished first in yards per game. Um, he's the star of this team. And, you know, well, at least prior to the draft, if they, if they take Stroud or, or Bryce Young, you know, that might become the star of the team, but you I know mean, I'm a Florida Gator fan. So I kind of knew about Pierce coming out. Um, I was kind of high on him, and I would have you know, watch Gator games. I'd be so upset because he wouldn't get the play that I think he deserved. But coming in the NFL, I'm glad he didn't get that mileage on him.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So many people have uh, expressed their dismay with Dan Mullen over his non-usage at Florida. I've heard a lot of that before, and I was kind of one of them, too. I wanted to see more of the guy. Um, So maybe that had something to do with why he. I don't know if it's fair to say he hit the wall later in the season, but they also sort of pulled back on his usage um, and down the stretch, it made, made sense. The Texans weren't going anywhere. He hadn't reached that you know, threshold as far as workload level. I, I think it did make sense for them to pull back and you know, ease off the throttle a little bit down the stretch. But is it just me, Joey, or does it seem like both the best ball and the dynasty communities are lower on Damian Pierce than they should be? I mean, if you agree with that perception, do you have a theory why? I mean, I, I just
1: Devin Singletary spooking fantasy managers like sure. I, you know, if you watch the second single, Singletary when he's with the bills, he did have this uncanny ability to outplay whoever they brought in. <laughs> um, you know, so Pierce not finishing the season at first, it kind of had me worried. Then I started thinking, well, like you just said, you know, the Texans, you know, they're not really going anywhere. Let's back off. Let's make sure that he's ready for next year. So that just got me more excited for him, um, you know, shutting him down. It could have been the best thing to boost my confidence in them. To be honest,
0: yeah. I mean, it seems to me that that the lack of enthusiasm for Pierce was sort of already there even before the free agent period and the signing of Singletary. So I wonder if maybe people were anticipating that Jameer Gibbs, or I don't think the Texans are going to be the the team to draft Bijan Robinson, but I could see Gibbs or Charbonnet or you know Achain, one of these other sort of interesting uh, second tier, third tier backs. I wonder if that was it. Like people just figure that this is not going
1: to be Pierce as the main guy. It could be, you know, you look at draft capital that does say a lot. I just, I mean, I, with my two eyes, what I saw out of Damian Pierce last year and when he was with Florida more just last year, like I'm convinced. And if they do draft a, a running back, that's on them. And I would tell Damian Pierce that, if I were to become a GM, I would sign him immediately because he's amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah. No. And uh, like, I'm always just interested in markets. And there was just like such a mania for Damian Pierce last August. Remember that? And like, it, it's weird how everyone sort of cooled on him after he had, I thought, at least met, if not exceeded. Uh, all expectations for him even after that great august he had in the preseason
1: yeah i was i was sad that he when he drove rose up to like the fourth round value because i would be getting him in like the sixth to eighth round and i was like had him on every team and then people started drafting him i got upset <laughs> <laughs> no there was there
0: was like such a, a thirst for that guy in august drafts and uh you know kind of i wonder if it was like a
1: butterfly effect of us having dinner together in canton and then just that that's what that's what the result was <laughs> we didn't even speak so. about it but i wonder you know
0: <laughs> i think so we were definitely talking about i remember a conversation with friedman at the bar about damian pierce and okay um you know how high things were going to go this was at the hotel bar at the uh Kent DoubleTree, double tree so maybe maybe it was a butterfly effect thing
1: I remember Freeman talking about his gravy, like what the, what the qualities of gravy should have that just, I will never forget that
0: (laughs) (laughs) and how the gravy he was dining on at the time probably did not have many of those qualities did not (laughs) (laughs) Joey on a, a recent episode of the pretend GM, uh, you Alfredo Brown and Dave Kluge were talking about some of your favorite dynasty trade targets. Who were a few of yours?
1: Uh, so we each had two, um, one for a win now team and the other for a team that would be rebuilding. My um, win now target was Tony Pollard, who hopefully escapes the draft Bijan free <laughs> and goes on to have potential top five running back season. Everything we saw to Pollard last year, I absolutely loved. Um, and then my re- rebuilding target was Jameson Williams.
0: Oh, man. Tell me about your enthusiasm for him. Like, what do you think? I've, I've been, I got him in my first bas- best ball draft of the year. I'm enthusiastic about him too, but admittedly, I'm not quite sure what a medium, median outcome type of season would look like for him in terms of numbers. Do you have some sort of target numbers in mind?
1: Yeah. So I was looking at, you know, I, that Detroit Lions offense last year was so much fun to watch and just kind of breaking down, like what it might look like next year. I projected him for 110 targets. That's, I think that's fair to assess that that's what you'd have um, with that probably 72 receptions um, over a thousand yards, six touchdowns. So right around like 215 to like 220 fantasy points in PPR leagues, which would put them right around wide receiver 20. Um, I just truly believe in this Detroit lions offense. If you go to um, you know, different sports books out there, a lot of them have the lions favored to win the division right now. I think a lot of that is because of how great that offense and the defense looked on the second end of the season.
0: And that they're going to add to it with four picks in the first two mm-hmm. rounds of the draft. Um, yep. Yeah, and then some improvements already in their defensive backfield. I think that defense could really look a lot different this year. I totally see it, and I'm a Green Bay Packers fan, but I think the Packers and Vikings are on their way down, and the Bears and Lions are on their way up. So um, it makes a lot of sense. Man, you mentioned the B. John Robinson to Dallas thing. Like, What, what a deflation of the Tony Pollard balloon that would be. Um, oh my goodness. Like there's been just so much enthusiasm for him. And, um, to be honest, like, I don't, I don't know that my enthusiasm would have, I would almost rather like Dallas kept Zeke around as just the meat shield, you know, like, I mean, it's having Zeke there is much less scary a proposition than possibly having Bijan come in and, uh, you know, relegate to Tony
1: Pollard to, third down back at best i, I think the scariest thing about Bijan to dallas is you can absolutely visualize it <laughs> like it just seems like what dallas is going to do
0: oh it's um, a jerry
1: jones move for exactly sure. and so like that's what scares me i think the most about it is it could actually happen <laughs> not just saying it oh man now speaking of a, a enthusiasm for a running back who could
0: potentially face some crowding in the backfield I know you're enthusiastic about Khalil Herbert on the Bears, or at least you were until they added backfield competition and free agency. So you're worried that Deonta Foreman and Travis Homer could possibly get in the way of a Khalil Herbert breakout this year?
1: I mean, at first I wasn't too concerned. I felt like Chicago just went out and grabbed two backs that were probably better at receiving. And then memories of Deontay Foreman started creeping in. <laughs> and we've seen how capable we can be with supporting and a full workload. 4.2 yards per carry. You know, he's a trusted red zone presence. He was second among running backs towards the second half of the season, weeks eight to 17. Um, I do think we're looking at probably like a 60, 40 timeshare heading into the season. And I don't know why I didn't see this from the beginning, but let's not forget Chicago is going to let their QB run the ball. Last season field ran the ball over 10 times a game. And so for a breakout, that's just, there's just too much in the way for Herbert for me to say he's a breakout you know, last year I was touting it a lot because I was like, well, David Montgomery's going to be gone next year. I don't think the Bears are going to bring him back, you know, run him into the ground and it's going to be Herbert show next year. And then just Justin Fields came on and then going and adding these two guys in. Homer doesn't concern me as much as, as Foreman does. Um, it's just hard for me to see a breakout now.
0: Yeah, maybe we could see something that's more like an efficiency breakout where he – um, has sort of a, a Tony Pollard esque season where he's not getting a, a huge workload but is doing a lot of damage with the touches he gets. And I suppose being a smaller back, Herbert probably was not destined for a 250 carry season anyway. Um, but one thing, Joey, I don't know, I mean, like they could draft another back, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Then it gets really sticky.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, the all the every team's I think was a trade, you know, mock traded or mock drafted uh, Bijan, But, you know, this was the first team that I heard Bijan's name actually linked to that I was like, huh. Uh, But, you know, the Bears did trade out of the first pick. uh, Not the first pick, but yeah, they traded out. So we'll see what
0: happens. Number nine is where it starts to enter the realm of plausibility as far as Bijan going there. I don't think that would be the best move for the Bears. I mean, I think they've got other needs to take care of first, and it seems like there's an opportunity to cost to sacrifice sacrificing opportunities to boy um, What was the, there was a phrasing that Jacob Sanderson used in uh, making the case why drafting Bijan early top half of the first round is a mistake. And I think it's just um, the opportunity cost of passing on high leverage positions like edge rusher, cornerback, left tackle. And I, I don't think the Bears would do that. But then again, Ryan Poles went out and, uh, you know, took a lot of this money he had to spend on free agency and spent it on, like, off-ball linebackers. So uh, maybe I shouldn't give him too much credit here. <laughs> <laughs> now, Joey, there was a recent Football Guys article in which you mentioned Samaje Pirine as a potential value gainer as a result of free agency. Do you suspect it's going to be a Javante williams Samaje P. Ryan timeshare rather than P. Ryan just operating as a clear backup to Javante?
1: I mean, I think it's eventually it moves into a Javante P. Ryan timeshare. But for me, that question is, when does that happen? Because P. Ryan could easily start the season as this Broncos starter. Like, we're not really sure when Javante is going to be back. Last I saw. And as a starter... When P. Ryan's gotten the work, he's been fantastic. If he's had more than 10 touches in a game, it's happened seven times. He averaged 18.4 fantasy points per game in those seven seven games. That's a small sample size, but he's shown that when he gets the ball, he is electric. And he's also excellent when he's used as a pass catcher, which, hey, new head coach, Sean Payton, he loves to utilize that. Uh, So P. Ryan is someone I'm still going to take rather late in drafts, but I think he's gonna help your team start off really, really strong.
0: That's probably not a bad idea. I mean, even if Javante does come back early on, I don't think we're gonna see him getting 20 to 25 carries a game. I love Javante, but to Piron's credit, for a guy I thought was just gonna be kind of a plotter coming into the league. Um, you know, he's he is kind of an inside the the tackles guy. He's like tough I don't think he's exactly an electric big play threat but he does catch the ball um pretty reliable yardage gainer yeah maybe he's a, a sneaky good play this year in drafts Joey it seems inevitable that Odell Beckham is going to sign with someone in the coming weeks and uh boy I'm, I'm seeing like talk of a one-year 14 or 15 million dollar deal um I, to me that seems kind of crazy but what sort of Yeah. What sort of fantasy utility do you imagine OBJ having this season?
1: I mean, any team is going to throw that much money at him. They're not going to put him on the team just to sell jerseys. He's going to contribute wherever he goes. Um, You know, almost two seasons ago, it seems now with the Rams, he put up a really good second half of the season. Um, I have him outside my top 36 wide receivers, but I'm fine taking him as like a wide receiver four with upside. Um, He can absolutely contribute.
0: Yeah, boy, like you might even be more optimistic than I am. I don't think I have him (laughs) in my top 50 or even 60 right now. And I think it's just that the last time we saw him, he was like this touchdown specialist. And like, I just back in his heyday with the Giants, he was a guy kind of expected to go for 100 yards pretty much every game. And like those days to me are just so long gone. But I don't know, maybe people are thinking that he can be that guy again. I Mean landing spots
1: a lot of it too. Like they're saying Jets and like if Aaron Rodgers, he's gonna wanna throw to him. Like he would, but would I mean if he Yeah,
0: what do that. you well what do you think the upside would be on the Jets with Garrett Wilson there, with Alan Lazard there with there's a lot, lot
1: of mouse of you, but I I do think Beckham would probably rise over Alan Lazard to be the wide receiver two on that team.
0: Yeah, you think so. And I don't think that would do much for Nicole Hardman's stock no. either.
1: It that's if Odo Beck can come stay healthy. I never like mentioning like health or durability, but I kind of feel like you have to, when there's been multiple injuries with a wide receiver.
0: Oh, definitely. I mean, he, I think it has to be proven that he can go more than, you know, a few weeks in a row without um, showing up on the injury report. All right, Joey, last thing before I let you get out of here, give me two players you're in on this year and maybe two players you're fading.
1: Yeah. I'm, Um, we kind of talked about, you know, Jameson Williams earlier in the, in the show, but you know, the guy throwing the ball, Jared Goff, I am really in on, I'm someone, like I said, you know, that likes to wait on quarterback. So I'm gonna take a lot of Jared Goff. He's going as the QB 15 right now. And that's just, that's in my sweet spot. Um, I love taking two of those late round guys and just kind of pairing them up. And I, I might just be leaving drafts with Goff because I, everything I saw, the Detroit Lions offense just looked fantastic. Um, he could be one of the best, you know, ADP values coming out of drafts this year. Devonta Smith, um, through the last eight weeks of the season, he actually finished ahead of A.J. Brown in points per game. Uh, the Eagles defense, you know, they saw some departures this offseason. Um, so I see their offense being on the field a lot more. Um, and Smith is going to be a huge part of that. Um, a player I'm out on, Pat, I'm really sorry to say this. Christian Watson, he's still going inside the top 24 wide receivers. And I just, if Aaron Rodgers is not going to be there, I can't draft him that high. You know, I do expect him and Jordan love to build some rapport, but it's going to take a little bit. Um, and for as far as dynasty, though, I'm I'm fine holding them. And then it <sighs> hurts me to say I was once a truther, a Cole Komet truther, but I am no more. Um, <laughs> the added focus on the run ground uh, game compared with, you know, DJ Moore coming in and probably a first or second round wide receiver just has me out. Um, I'm just pessimistic he can finish as a top 12 tight end this year.
0: Oh, completely understandable on Komet with what they've added, you know, bringing in DJ Moore, having Claypool healthy, which he was not when he joined the bears last year. Um, Yeah. And, and Darnell Mooney coming back. So understandable for, you know, the run heaviest team in the league last year, even if they don't run it as much, we still know that they're not going to be pass happy. And um, you know, the target picture just is not clear for them. And plus, the, one of the weirder signings of the off season, Joey, Robert Tunyon going to, uh, yeah, I mean, he's from Illinois. I, I get that, but, um, it, it just seems like, um, there's not going to be a lot of opportunity for him to catch passes for the bears. And, um, I totally agree with you on Christian Watson. I'm I'm not a Jordan love guy, as I think a lot of listeners of the show are aware. And, um, you know, even though, I think maybe people are going to be willing to take him at you said he was still top 24
1: where I went and looked before the show. It was, I think he was like at 23,
0: Oh yeah, 23rd wide mean, receiver. Off the board. Gr- granted, not a lot of target competition right now. It's just Romeo no. Dobbs in an empty wide receiver room more or less. Um, but still, I, I just can't, they're going to add wide receivers. And I, I can't imagine that he's going to be a high volume guy this year. Maybe can be, but um, I don't know. I'm just a little worried about that passing game and what it looks like after Aaron Rodgers. But I'm most fascinated by your Goff answer, Joey. Like, yeah, it's not a guy like everyone, anyone is ever really considering a target. Maybe sort of a, yes, I'll hold my nose and take Jared Goff if I choose not to spend draft capital at quarterback. But like actually targeting him and saying I'm going to pass all these other guys and take off.
1: Yeah, I mean I, I like I said I'm not someone that likes to reach for quarterback. I really am not. Like if I get a good value, like let's say that Mahomes is there in the third, I'm taking it. Like I, I'm I'm running with that. But I'm I'm not going to take a quarterback just because eleven other guys in my league took a quarterback. Um, I just, I I need to have the value on the quarterback. Usually I'm like the 12th, <laughs> the 12th team to take the quarterback in the league. And I've, you know, you look at the past, you know, we'll say six, seven seasons, 40% of the quarterbacks come, the top 12 quarterbacks come from without side that top 12. They just find their way to creep in Patrick Mahomes in his rookie year. Now that's a, that's a big example. You know, he's taken as the, what was it 22nd overall quarterback? you know, finding those guys are how I've found fantasy success in the past. And from what I saw from Jared Goff and this line's offense last year, I think Goff can be that guy. I hope none of my league mates are listening because they're all going to reach for Goff now. <laughs> and
0: Not the infrastructure, reads, but... I mean, the infrastructure does look really good. Like they still have one of the better offensive lines in the league. Uh, you know, we've been talking about Jamison Williams and, uh, i on Ross St. Brown, obviously. And, um, Yeah, and just like bringing back Ben Johnson as the offensive coordinator when everything seemed to work pretty smoothly. And uh, that offense just kept looking better and better last year as things went on. So I totally get it, man. I I think he's a pretty solid selection. If you're willing to forego uh, an opportunity to have one of the big difference makers of Patrick Mahomes, a Josh Allen, a Jalen Hurts, and are willing to wait. That's not yeah, I mean, once we play. get past
1: Burrow, like that's when I'm really gonna wait. But what I'll do with Jared Goff, and this is what I do every time, is I'll pair somebody that I think is pretty safe,'s got a pretty good stat line with one of the rookies. So CJ Stroud or Bryce Young. Like this is that's the guy I'm drafting with Goff. Because I'm usually, if I'm waiting to take a quarterback that late, I'm gonna take two.
0: Yeah. And in the best balls I've been in, those guys have um you can get those guys fairly late. It doesn't seem like people are jumping on them yet, not knowing exactly where they're going to be playing. Let me ask you this, Joey. Would your confidence in golf be at all shaken if the Lions spent a 2nd round pick on
1: Hendon Hooker? Um, I would say anything outside of this, inside of the first two rounds would make me wonder how long the leash is for golf.
0: Yeah. I will say, though, like... Hendon Hooker, it's probably gonna be Goff would really have to face plant pretty hard this year for the Lions to ever like make an in-season switch to Hendon Hooker if they were to draft him, which, you know, is quite a leap of faith. Anyway, but um, you know, he's gonna he's not gonna be ready for training camp. He's not gonna get meaningful training camp reps, he's not gonna be ready for the start of the season. I'm thinking it's gonna be a redshirt year for him, and things would have to be pretty disastrous for
1: and in hooker to see time early in the year. Absolutely. Richardson's who I probably would worry the most about. Yeah. Because I, I think we know the first two picks in the draft are going to be, but if Richardson ends up on the Lions, I would I'd be pretty concerned.
0: Yeah. That would be a shocker, but uh, stranger it things would have happened. Yeah. And uh, we'll find out in less than a month. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, oh, that's Joey Wright of Front Yard Fantasy and FootballGuys.com. Find him on Twitter at the Wright. Joey, it is always great catching up with you. Thanks for coming on, buddy. Appreciate you stopping
1: by. It's an honor. Thank you so much.
0: That's it for the show. My thanks once again to Joey Wright of Frontyard Fantasy and FootballGuys.com. Find him on Twitter at TheJoeyWright. Fits on Fantasy is produced by Calm Kelly. Find him on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. The music is provided by International Jet Set. And my sincere thanks to all of you for lending me your ears and supporting the show. Please drop by again next week when I will be joined by another terrific guest. Until then, go on, everyone.